Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. Some of you aren't the most lovable tonight, but you're welcome. You've had a bad day, a bad week, bad month. You've allowed it to take root in your heart. I bet you could look back to a time where you were a little bit more lovable than you are tonight, but I want you to know that the love of God will melt you. The love of God and the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God, the merciful extension of God, the hope of salvation, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his life. Even if you find yourself not very lovable tonight, you're welcome here. Because God, you stick around here long enough, you'll become very lovable by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Calvary Church in Aurora welcomes you now to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. You can locate us online at calvaryco.church. Earlier this week, you may recall our attention was on the love we're to have as believers. But now our focus shifts to the soon return of Jesus. And you'll see how the two are related in a moment. We're to love like Jesus until he returns. But in order to do this, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. He'll help to stir love up in us. Let's turn to John 13 and 1 Corinthians 13 and learn all about this with Pastor Ed. At the end of chapter 12, verse 31, Paul says, earnestly desire the best gifts and yet I show you a more excellent way. What had happened in the church in Corinth happens in many churches today in that believers get caught up in the gifts and the manifestations of the Spirit instead of the giver of those gifts. Anytime you and I get our eyes off of the giver, we're going to automatically, immediately be imbalanced. We're going to be out of whack. God never intended us to take the gifts that he gives to us and just blow him out of the water and say, hey, I don't need the giver, I just want the gifts. And Paul's trying to set things straight for them, trying to get them back on track trying to bring them to a place where they are back to where he was there when he planted the church and understand it is the giver of the gifts and more so it's his love flowing through them. And then he explains in verse 1, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, all knowledge, that I could have all faith, that I could remove mountains but not have love, I'm nothing. Verse 3, and though I bestow all my goods to the feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So with all the knowledge in the world without love, I mean, what good is it? With all of the wisdom in the world to have and not be able to use it in love, what good? What good is discernment? What good is speaking with other tongues? What, what good is any of the gifts that God gives us if we don't have a genuine love for God and a genuine love for one another? They're just, it just there's no need. And yet the temptation to get caught up in all the gifts is always there. There are churches and believers that get imbalanced. And Paul just says, hey, come back to the balance. Notice now in John chapter 13, as we tie in these wonderful truths with 
the instruction of Jesus. Pick up with me in John's Gospel, chapter 13, there in verse 34. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's really the essence. People are going to know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. It's tangible. It's recognizable. It is in deep contrast to the hatred and the darkness of the world. It, it supersedes even the best kindness that's available in the world. And Jesus said, this is it. Here's the key. This new commandment. And you wonder, well, what kind of new commandment is that? In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, it says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. What, what was so new about what Jesus was saying? Well, notice the phrase there in verse 34. He says, I, I give you this new commandment that you love one another, and you mark this phrase because this is the newness of the commandment. As I have loved you. Now we have a frame of reference in this new commandment. It's not just simply a love that is made up or contrived. It, it now is a love that is displayed. We see it very tangibly in the life of Jesus. That was what was new to them. Jesus loved them like no one else. They experienced a love from Jesus that was selfless and sacrificial. They experienced a love from Jesus that was unconditional, that was spiritual in its root. Think about unconditional love for a moment. You know what unconditional love means? It means I love you no matter what. Unconditional, we sort of use that word and, and we use it in Bible studies. We don't necessarily use it in life. Let me give it to you in life. I love you no matter what. And they go, oh, wait a minute, no matter what? Now, wait a minute. Now, there are a few things that might interrupt my love. That's not unconditional. There are a few things that I might choose to hold back. That's not unconditional. You know, there is a line that could... No, that's not unconditional. That's not the love that Jesus speaks of here. It's not the love that Paul speaks of. It's not that agape love that flows from the Father through the Spirit, demonstrated in the Son, lived out in your life. And just because it's been the topic the last few weeks, you've been tested on it. You don't need a Bible study now because God has given you the test. Some of you have passed... Some of you are going back to love 101. Say, okay, Lord, where's my heart? What does that look like? And it's not the love of our society, you know, the syrupy, romantic, verbal types of love that are displayed and not really real, but it's the one that follows in the footsteps of Jesus. You start talking about love and the importance of being unconditional in that love and automatically I know that some of you are like, well, wait a minute, Ed. They hurt me really bad. They, they are coming after me. Yeah, I know. They're slandering me right now. I'm in here worshiping and they're out there tearing down. I know. It's devastating. They don't seem to care about you. They don't seem to want to get along. They don't seem to want to apply. They're believers even on top of that. Like, Whoa. They don't want to meet in the middle. They don't want to meet anywhere. They want it all in their terms. And, and the word from the Lord is to love. And that makes sense now, doesn't it, with the ingredients that you might bring today of some of the lovelessness that you have received and what the temptation is for you to answer that with lovelessness. How often, how quick are we to look for reasons why we don't have to love like Jesus loved? We could just start to examine and say, well, you know, Ed, here's the category that they don't fit, so I am justified. Even Leviticus said don't hold a grudge. 
even in the basic understandings of the law, how to approach God in the old covenant, let alone under the blood of Jesus Christ, under the example of Jesus. And it makes sense then that verse 35 in John 13 would send a message to a loveless world. It makes sense then that when the believers of Jesus Christ fan out into a loveless world, that it's very, very noticeable, very much in contrast. It's very noticeable and in contrast to the hatred of the world where the world isn't into this type of love. The world's type of love and definition is more selfish, not selfless. And by this, Jesus said, by this, what? That love of one another as Christ loved us. By this, all will know that you're my disciples. This group, this gathering tonight on Wednesday night, this time would be absolutely meaningless without the love of God in our midst. What would we be doing? Just talking. Sitting, talking, listening. Without love, it's not even the church. It's just a group of people coming together, going through academic exercises, studying a book. It's the Spirit of God that infuses love in our lives through the example and the presence of Jesus. A group of people knit together by the common love of Jesus is the church. A called out group. A group that is set apart and distinct. John would say later in his letter, well, how can you say that you follow God or you hate your brother? The love of God is not in you. In that moment of hatred, hatred and love don't go, they don't coexist. So John says, hey, what's going on? What do you mean you don't love? It's almost like he's in shock. What do you mean, Chris? What do you mean you're not loving? Don't you remember the selfless, sacrificial love that was poured out on you? I have to say there are times when we forget. You know, the common love of the early church was a puzzling thing to the first century Romans. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. This was a group of people that wouldn't bow down and take a pinch of incense and offer it to Caesar. They were the best employers. They were the best employees, which in their context would mean they were the best slaves of the day. They found their lot in life, and they were the ones that excelled in any area of life. They were content with their lot in life, and they served their heart out to please God. And it blew the Romans away. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. They wanted to study it. They would do what we would do today. They would take surveys. And you know what they did? Tertullian tells us that they sent spies into the gatherings like this. And certainly there's a spy or two that comes through our congregation from time to time. They don't know, but they're spying in wondering what is going on. On more than one occasion, I'll have people come up and say, you know, I just came by because I, I didn't understand why the parking lot was so full. What are you guys doing in there? Giving away money? You don't know. You know, what are you doing in there? And I said, well, you sat through the service. You saw what we're doing. We sing, we talk, we read the Bible, we pray, and we love one another. And he goes, yeah, I know. Blows my mind. For some of you, it blew your mind. Where you're wondering, what is that? What does that look like? What's going on? It puzzles me. Well, listen to the report that the spies took back from one of the gatherings. Tertullian writes, and I quote, these Christians are very strange people. Amen. Yeah, he was here. <laughs> no. They meet together in an empty room to worship. They don't have an image, you know, an image of Caesar to worship. They speak by one by the name of Jesus who is absent, but whom they seem to be expecting at any time. 
And listen to this last line. And my, how they love him and how they love one another. A fulfillment of John 13, 35. It's a fulfillment. My, how they love him. How the love of God infuses. Now, some of you aren't the most lovable tonight, but you're welcome. You've had a bad day, a bad week, bad month. You've allowed it to take root in your heart. I bet you could look back to a time where you were a little bit more lovable than you are tonight, but I want you to know that the love of God will melt you. The love of God and the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God, the merciful extension of God, the hope of salvation, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his life. Even if you find yourself not very lovable tonight, you're welcome here. Because God, you stick around here long enough, you'll become very lovable by the power of the Holy Spirit. You'll, blow, you'll, you'll, you'll be surprised yourself. Your countenance will all be all messed up and twisted and contorted. And before you know it, you look in the mirror and you go, oh my, who's that? Indeed. <laughs> And so in that, with that in mind, understand that the love of God is amazing. It's the transforming power of God. Love is the key ingredient that we know that God is at work. When all else, you can't figure anything else out. You don't have any other answers. Look for love because you know that God is at work. The solution may not be there yet. The, the coming together may not be. The reconciliation, the answer from heaven may not be there. But look for love. Pray for love. Don't do the opposite. Don't cry out for the gifts of the Spirit. Give me more gifts. Give me more power. No, you want a powerful prayer? You're in a tough time. You pray for love. That must have been on the hearts as we saw this last weekend. It must have been on the hearts of Paul and Silas as they're singing hymns and praying in the midst of the prison. There must have been an infusion of love because at the right moment when the jailer calls out, they're ready. I mean, if they were in a different type of mood, they could have really messed with him. After all, he just beat them just threw them in the inner prison. It would have been their perfect opportunity, even just if they had the motive of, well, we'll tell them about Jesus after three minutes of just messing with him. Just telling them, you know, and then right when he's right, right when he's ready, and we'll get him right to the edge. And, and that's just not love. That's selfishness. Trying to make someone pay when Jesus already paid the price for them. Trying to make someone go through, the, you know, we're not talking about the legal system with the consequences of sin. Of course, there's always consequences to sin, and sometimes people have to pay the price. That's not what I'm referring to. You go, wait a minute, Ed, you just let everyone off? No, no, no. There are always consequences. You break the law of the land, you pay the price of the law of the land. But that's not what I'm speaking of. I'm talking about your interpersonal relationships. Like Jesus says, by this they will know you're my disciples if you bite and devour one another. No. If you make people pay for it. No. If, if you talk behind their backs. No. If you argue your point into, you know, just bury them with your, all your knowledge. No, no, no. The mark of the church is love. With this in mind, come over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. As we've looked at in previous studies, this display of love. And if you haven't been with us, we've been working our way through 1 Corinthians. We've been looking at the manifestations of the Spirit, one by one. The beautiful inner workings of the spiritual body of Christ, the importance of love, that most excellent way. And then he says in verse 4, this display says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, 
but rejoices in the truth, verse 7, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. He moves from the topic of the agape love, the selfless love of God, to the soon return of Jesus Christ. This is the section here. He says, here, let's put it in context. The soon return of Jesus Christ. Get your eyes on the prize, gang. Understand the reality of the coming of the Lord. That changes your life. That really stirs up a love, knowing that the Lord could come at any time. It brings an urgency in our hearts. Yeah, some of these things are going to cease. But he says, love never fails. And this scripture, this section of scripture that we're about to read, is the only place in the Bible that even hints at the ceasing of gifts that is used to suggest that the spiritual gifts, or at least some of the spiritual gifts, don't exist today, tonight, among us. Specifically, the ones that are mentioned. It says in verse 8 that there's a time when prophecies will fail, and there's a time when tongues will fail, and there's a time when knowledge will vanish away. Keep those in mind. Those are the three pairings or, or couplings or bringing together these gifts, these triad of gifts. These are the three that will often be used in a point of debate. And we looked at this in other studies, but I want to walk through with you, okay? Verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. That's present. But when, that's future, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now... We see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I'm also known. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Two time periods being spoken of, now and then. Now and when. In the context of when Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and now. The same when, it's the same, same time period for us. When that which is perfect has come. Everything that we do in the Lord today is partial. It's partial. Another way of saying that is that none of us here are perfectly mature and fully grown up in the things of the Lord. None of us. From the unbeliever that just got saved to the believer that's been walking and living in the Lord for 40 years, there's still a maturity process, still a time to grow up. We, we can see that maturity and growth is a topic because he says, hey, when I was a kid, he uses it as, as an example. When I was a kid, I lived like a kid, but there's that time when you grow up and you're no longer childish. And so in not being perfect and mature, that tells me that we have a lot to look forward to, a lot to grow in his grace and knowledge, just like Peter said, that we would grow up in his grace and his knowledge and that we would add to our faith, wisdom and understanding, and we would grow in him. So all of us have room to grow. He says, just like a mirror, what we see today, we see dimly. We don't even, even in the best understanding that we have of who Jesus is and what he desires for our life, it's still a very dim view of what God has for us in glory. There's hope in knowing, hey, you know, I see it in a fuzzy way right now, but God has more ahead for me. And in the context, in the big picture here, 
It's only love that never fails. Love is going to be very evident and resident in heaven, in the presence of Jesus. And even though love never fails, there are those things, the gifts, that are not lasting. They're for us now, and we need them now. They're important to us now, but these giftings, these manifestations of the Spirit, will one day, all of them, will one day pass away. We won't need any of them. We'll have a fullness in our new bodies, in our resurrected brand new bodies, we'll have a fullness of relationship with him. There's a time coming when no giftings are going to be needed. They're important to us now, though. It's how Jesus reaches the world through the manifestations of his spirit in our lives. If he was to remove the spirit from us, we would be in big trouble. We would try to be perfecting in the flesh what God began in the spirit. So what God has begun in the spirit, you can hold fast to he's going to complete it in the spirit. Thanks for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor and part of our study in 1 Corinthians. If you joined us late or would just like to give this a second listen, go online to calvaryco.church. You can then do a search for the passage we studied today. Have you had a chance to download our app? This is another great way to take in the teaching of God's Word and download it for free today by searching for Calvary Aurora. Another great app is the Grace FM Colorado app. Pastor Ed, this section in 1 Corinthians speaks of a time when some of the gifts will cease, when the perfect has come. And some have been led to believe that's already happened, and the gifts of tongues and prophecy and knowledge have passed away. What's your take on this? What is the Apostle Paul referring to when he says, that which is perfect has come? Well, you know, Larry, there is so much controversy over this particular topic that it's really divided the church, the church at large, into two different camps. One camp is known as cessationism, and the other camp is known as continuationism, if you will. And cessation just simply means ceasing, and as you mentioned, uh, the ceasing of the gifts uh, really only refer to tongues, prophecy, and knowledge. And it's tied to this, uh, this phrase, that which is perfect has come. And on the cessationist side, and I'm simplifying this in, in its most basic terms, but they, they would view that phrase as referring to the arrival of the completed Bible, or what would be known as the canon of Scripture. Where the continuationist, and that's a position that I hold, I believe biblically that all the gifts are available today, all the manifestations of the Spirit are available today, and that the phrase, that which is perfect has come, is actually a phrase considering and pointing to the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's the perfect one to come. And when he comes, and all of the world is uh, consummated, all of human history is consummated in the second coming, of course there's not going to be any need for spiritual gifts any longer, any of them, because we'll have our new bodies, we'll have our new life, we'll we'll be in the presence of Jesus Christ for all of eternity, and everything will be fulfilled. So a big debate, but doesn't need to be. Um, no matter what camp you're in, ask the Lord to give you all that he has for you. And set aside any of the preconceived ideas, especially on these secondary matters, where a point could be made using the scriptures that would be valid. And man, that we would have less division and more unity, even with disagreement. 
and that we would all desire the best gifts. <laughs> we just ask God for it all. Just do that today. This right, right before the program ends. Just ask the Lord for it all, that He might use you in great ways. That is very helpful. Thanks, Pastor Ed. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. Even just a quick hello telling us the station you're listening to means a lot. Let us know how we can pray for you, too. You can email us through the website at calvaryco.church. And please remember that Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We simply can't do this alone. We look to the Lord for provision. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Pastor Ed's book, Ordinary Servant. No matter your background or years as a Christian, God can and wants to use you. You'll learn how in this wonderful book. You might even want to go through this with your small group at church. Again, we'll send you Ordinary Servant by Ed Taylor with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more today. Reach us at 877-30-GRACE or visit calvaryco.church. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from 1 Corinthians. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.